Welcome to episode 40 of the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast with me, Kim McCall. Today I've got something a bit different for you. Instead of interviewing a guest, um, this is a recording of me reading an article I wrote uh, early on in the coronavirus situation where I was looking at David Icke's conspiracy theories and how we can understand them. And uh, I'd give a bit of an introduction. I recorded this originally for YouTube, so um, I'll provide some context. Uh, I'll read the article, but I'll also give some additional explanations and some reflections on some questions or comments, rather, that I received. So, as always, this whole article really is about not believing anything, using our discernment, and um, really being able to deal with ambiguity which is what the coronavirus situation, among many other current crises on the planet, are asking us to do. So, as always, I uh, hope you enjoy, and I always appreciate feedback and comments. Hey, my name is Kim McCall. I'm a social anthropologist and the author of Multidimensional Evolution, Personal Explorations of Consciousness. And today I'm going to talk about conspiracy theories. And in fact, I'm going to read an article I wrote a while ago about conspiracy theories arising around the coronavirus. And just as an indication of how quickly 2020 has moved, when we talk about coronavirus conspiracy theories now, we most likely will think of QAnon. But in fact, when I wrote this article, I hadn't heard of QAnon and all the talk was about David Icke. So um, this article will focus on what David Icke said at the time, but really more importantly, how we can make sense of conspiracy theories and why we're drawn to them and perhaps give us some indication if we have people that are drawn to them, how we can connect and how we can relate. Um, to them if we ourselves are worried about that because we don't, we aren't drawn to those same theories and we can see friends and loved ones who really seem to get caught and perhaps spiral into certain uh, states of um, really uh, paranoid and seemingly to us irrational thinking. And uh, so I'm going to explore a bit as to why it's perhaps not so irrational and at the same time uh, doesn't really serve us in terms of our, um, our, our growth and navigating uh, our life. So I will essentially read the, the article that I wrote. It's an article uh, that's published on Medium. Um, and just to, for some background, it's not a, a, a widely read article. I've had um, you know, a handful of uh, positive feedback about it uh, on Facebook, and I've had one very critical comment, I had a few critical comments, one very critical comment on Medium, uh, and I'll actually discuss that at the end, because I think it's really important to understand as well why um, people might object to it and disagree with it, and what that, what that means and how I can relate to that. And I want to engage with those comments because I think it's really important for us to have dialogue and to uh, really try and understand and um, address some of the issues that people might raise. Because if you look on social media, 
the same kind of things get repeated over and over. So uh, in terms of David Icke, uh, if you haven't heard of him, he's a, a, an English, um, uh, I don't quite know, he probably could be described as a professional uh, conspiracy theorist. He would probably describe himself as a professional conspiracy revealer. Um, I first heard of him in the 1990s when I was living in London. And at that time, uh, I read one of his books, which didn't strike me as that uh, controversial at the time. He was essentially, from memory, the main thing he was talking about was how we don't know our true nature as consciousness and that there's so much more to us and that um, there was a bit of an emphasis on, on nefarious powers that are trying to keep us ignorant of our true identity. And as someone who had been exploring consciousness myself and was interested in out-of-body experiences and life beyond the physical dimension, um, that didn't seem particularly controversial to me. I, I didn't spend too much time thinking about the uh, these nefarious powers so much, but um, it's part of a lot of the old religions, right, is that the world, essentially the materialism of the world is essentially a conspiracy, if you want, a conspiracy of materialism to blind us to our true identity. So I didn't pay much attention to him really, just kind of thought it was quite an interesting book. And then a few years later, um, I saw another book of his. And at that stage, he was talking about um, a reptilian uh, beings that uh, are, according to his theories, controlling humanity. And um, that didn't have any resonance for me and I didn't really pay much more attention to it. Now, quite often when David Icke has mentioned, uh, people bring up this reptilian thing as a kind of off-the-cuff dismissal. Uh, you know, look how crazy this guy is. He talks about rep reptilian overlords. And while that might be appealing, I think it does a disservice to um, all the other information that he shares that does actually resonate with a lot of people. And so in this article that I'm about to read, um, that's what I was trying to do, is to explore why is it that these ideas appeal with so many of us. Now, the article is called David Icke's Conspiracy Theories About the Coronavirus, How We Can Understand Their Appeal. And as I said, we've moved on from David Icke. We're now into QAnon, although I'm sure David Icke is still... Um, uh, talking about all the same things. Um, but I think a lot of the things that uh, apply to David Icke also apply to, to QAnon. So I'm going to read this, and then uh, and I might be a bit of off the cuff in which, uh, along the way, and then afterwards I'll discuss uh, some comments. All right, so prolonged uncertainty is painful. Among the many hardships suffered by those stuck in refugee detention centres, one of the most torturous is the indefinite nature of their situation. They have no control over their lives and no idea when their situation may change. The coronavirus pandemic has brought a wave of that kind of uncertainty crashing down among those, those of us who previously lived in what seemed like well, a well-ordered world. Because somehow, miraculously, despite unprecedented wildfires, climate change, and a low-key world war by proxy, for most of us, life has been continuing with a predictable rhythm. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, emerges a virus, 
and billions of us are affected in areas as diverse as our health and well-being, job security, and working arrangements, family relationships and connections with loved ones, social life and entertainment, and in many cases, our ability to simply move around. Anxiety and stress are natural human responses to such upheaval, as is a desire to find meaning and understanding. It is this desire for meaning and understanding that I believe is behind the growth of conspiracy theories that has accompanied the pandemic. My social media feed has become a host to a sudden flurry of such ideas, as well as rampant misinformation, often shared by friends who I know as holding holistic, metaphysically informed, and generally deeply caring views. In what seems like a complete transformation of their usual posts, these same people are now sharing videos of strident individuals who spread ideas and opinions that range from the outrageous to the outright sinister. And while I don't make this point in this article, um, the overlap between far right and the spiritual realm is something that's been commented on a lot uh, in more recent months. These videos are shared and reshared, leading to threads that become echo chambers of self-verification. Posts are often accompanied by emotive appeals to share this important information so we can break free from the tyranny that is befalling us under the guise of the pandemic. Few posters completely dismiss the existence of a disease associated with the coronavirus, though some do. But many seem of the view that the social distancing measures are excessive and represent a covert power grab by the authorities under the guise of an exaggerated and even fabricated crisis, rather than a genuine public health response. I do not think it is helpful to simply dismiss these concerns and those who share them as conspiracy nuts, and in fact, am deeply troubled by the trend. At a time where political polarisation seemed at an all-time high, I worry that the scars of this coronavirus will be social rather than immunological, leading to ever-deeper rifts between people and heightened potential for violence. And um, we've been seeing that. I know there's been a handful of cases uh, in the US um, of violence uh, or attempted violence. Um, but in Germany, uh, there's been uh, at least one uh, fire and one bomb uh, attack that seemed to have been inspired by QAnon um, videos and ideas. So this concern prompted me to try and understand why there are such fertile soils for these ideas, and it turns out their appeal is actually quite easy to understand. But before I explore that, here are some of the key points I have seen circulating. My summary is by necessity only a snapshot. The conspiracy theory rabbit holes are deep. For every theory that is met by a reasonable explanation, a new twist emerges to add a more conspiratorial plot, making these burrows almost interminable. A further complication is that no individual source necessarily provides all the pieces. Nor are different pundits sharing exactly the same information or viewpoint. Rather, different commentators provide partially overlapping narratives with variations that can always be interpreted as reflecting the deviousness of the conspiring forces. A coherent narrative becomes unnecessary when the enemy is an all-powerful, nebulous entity 
that can seemingly take control of any government, business, or media entity. So, what conspiracy theorists say? There are many conspiracy narratives, and I'll focus primarily on the ideas of David Icke. By way of contrast, I'll briefly start with the American scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and buddy, budding politician, Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. In the two interviews I watched, he seemed a vocal supporter of President Trump, which of course immediately raises the question of whether his commentary is politically motivated. Some of the highlights from his video include the following claims. Big Pharma, treated as a uniform entity, is not making money anymore because people are becoming more health conscious, so the industry is creating a need for a forced vaccination. This is an opportunity for Big Pharma and Big Agriculture to assert their dominance and continue to poison people. Now, just I'm not going to pass any comment on these claims. Um, I think there is all manner of holes in this argument, uh, starting with the very idea that people are becoming more, more healthy. I don't think there's uh, any evidence for that. I think the pharmaceutical industry is doing just fine. But I'm just going to um, essentially leave the statements as made by the, by the proponents. So the, other, the next claim he made is test results for COVID-19 are being inflated by deceitful testing and counting measures. In particular, Dr. Shiva states that U.S. hospitals are using codes provided by the WHO, the World Health Organization, to count anybody with COVID-19 symptoms as a positive. Versions of the inflated numbers claim are repeated in many other videos, usually on the basis of anecdotal evidence. Based on the fact that testing has been minimal in most countries, a more plausible scenario is that reported in the media, which is that there is significant underestimation of COVID-19 cases. And as an aside, the suggestion that the US medical industry would use WHO um, codes also strikes me as highly, highly uh, dubious. The coronavirus was created by China to ruin the US economy. Bill Gates, the Clintons and the Democrats are in league with China, wanting to destroy Trump. Professor Anthony Fauci, head of the American National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, created the idea that HIV creates AIDS. Obviously, um, Dr. Shiva disagrees with this. Professors are all egomaniacs. This was just something that he put out there. And Fauci is using the coronavirus idea to push the big farmer agenda. So it was kind of a scattergun of, of um, uh, ad hominem attacks and, and uh, unproven claims about all manner of things. One of the striking features of Dr. Shiva and all the other videos I've watched is that they do not provide any evidence for their assertions, yet express them with great passion and conviction, leaving me, and I assume many other viewers, wondering if the speakers know something that we do not. The lack of actual evidence seems irrelevant to many who share the videos as if the very fact that the video exists is the evidence. Since I've been working on this article, I actually noticed in a thread discussing David Icke that Dr. Shiva's credit among conspiracy believers seems to have been dented, and he himself is said to have links to Big Pharma. Dr. Shiva's ideas are certainly far less sophisticated and less wide-reaching than those of David Icke. And now David Icke's been at this 
for a long time, long before coronavirus. David David Icke is without doubt the most long-standing voice among the current proponents of conspiracy theories, having been a professional conspiracy theorist for almost three decades. David Icke's two interviews on the coronavirus on the online London Real Show have been viewed millions of times. Some commentators like to write David Icke off because he sometimes refers to alien lizard race as the ultimate guiding force behind global conspiracies, as I said in the intro. For many, that is enough to label him crazy. But he is actually very sophisticated at constructing emotionally charged narratives that appeal to the common man as well as to spiritually inclined people, so the common man, right? He speaks very casually and um, with a sort of common sense attitude when he's not talking about lizard people. And just an aside about those London Real videos, um, listening to the, um, I believe it was the Rebel Wisdom podcast recently, I learned that uh, uh, after pushing those videos and using them really to gain millions of um, subscribers, the platform has now gotten rid of them. So they seem to be playing their own conspiracy game. So David Icke draws heavily on factoids familiar from conservative and right-wing media that consequently appear truthful to consumers of such media and on anti-science and anti-establishment rhetoric that appeals to those who already question formal scientific, political and media institutions. As such, he appeals to a remarkably broad demographic. For example, in one of his interviews, he spoke passionately about how little the authorities care about the elderly, as evidenced by poor pension schemes, thus raising questions about how an economic shutdown could possibly be motivated by care for that demographic. This has a strong emotional appeal because, yes, the way elderly people, especially those without money, is treated uh, is appalling. He suggested in the same breath that the WHO is headed by a Marxist and was set up by the Rockefellers and is thus not not trustworthy organization, fitting in with factoids used by right-wing media to discredit that organization, and suggested that the pandemic is an elaborate scheme to have everybody vaccinated, fitting in with the fears of vaccination by many of the so-called spiritual left. As a professional conspiracy theorist, he makes a living from combining valid social criticisms with unsubstantiated ideas that have an emotional appeal to an ever-growing audience. In his London Real interviews, David Icke applies what I'd call a scattergun approach to ideas, covering so many angles that many people would be able to relate to at least some of them. The presence of internal inconsistencies becomes irrelevant at that stage. So key points that he raised during those interviews, and I, again, I'm just going to read them out, and they, the internal inconsistencies, I believe, become apparent when they just looked at that individually. The, the coronavirus is no worse than a flu, says David Icke. David thinks he and his son may have had it, even before it was officially declared in the UK. They were fine, so people are exaggerating the situation. There are many doctors who challenge the very existence of the coronavirus, but you will never see them in the mainstream media, says David Icke. They are being silenced. They confirm that in fact there is no COVID-19 and that the test that is being used to diagnose it is actually showing other things. David provides a very extensive explanation of these other things counted as COVID-19, 
which, if true, means the entire medical establishment all across the world has missed some very self-evident information or is being willfully misleading. They, some unidentified they, push bad food and create lots of electromagnetic radiation to poison us. And the illnesses that we are seeing are not the virus, but our immune system fighting the poisoning. According to David Icke, 5G is the main cause for the illness we are seeing because it takes oxygen out of the air. David Icke says that there are morgues currently being built in many parts of the world and they may use 5G radiation to kill many of us to fill those morgues, blame it on COVID-19 and justify further lockdowns. This can be done in a very targeted way, according to David Icke. The lockdown provisions serve as a means to enable 5G installations to be rolled out without protest. So on the one hand, 5G is creating it. On the other hand, the lockdown is being used to create 5 to build up 5G. Vaccines sponsored by Bill Gates will be laced with nanotechnology that will turn us into human computers and allow them to control our behavior and our health. Then, despite casting doubts on the reality of the virus, David also suggests that the strain in Iran was stronger than elsewhere. He questioned how it got there, of all places, and then killed senior members of government, suggesting that this could not be a coincidence. The implications seemed to be that the US had somehow used the virus to target Iran. He referred to a pandemic simulation known as Event 201 that took place in October 2019 in New York, suggesting this was linked to this actual pandemic as a kind of practice. He also suggested the world military games in Wuhan were a cover for the spread of this virus, again despite casting doubt on the reality of the virus at other times, and that Bill Gates wants to vaccinate the world and fund the tracking of people so authorities know if they've been vaccinated or not. They are using the pandemic to create what David calls the Hunger Games Society, in which a small elite control everybody else. Just an aside, we already have a world in which a small elite, if not controls, certainly owns the wealth of just about everybody else. The pandemic is being used to create economic suicide, which will lead us to a cashless society with one world currency, where small businesses have been wiped out and only large corporations survive and control everything. That too has been happening for quite a while. Climate change is a hoax, similarly created to provide an incentive to change our economic system to a technocratic, artificial intelligence-guided, centrally controlled system. Now that, that climate change thing, He's been, he was talking about long before COVID came along, so it's getting wrapped up in that now. Um, when we had the bushfires in Australia at the end of uh, 2019, um, I spent about two minutes on a David Icke video just to see what he had to say. And the first thing he said was essentially quoting pieces out of the Murdoch press um, that talked about the bushfires having having been lit by... Um, climate change activists, um, which was untrue, has been debunked by the police. Um, so anyway, that that was uh, it's a, another long-standing uh, agenda of David Icke. So the they in the above passages are a group of people David Icke refers to as a cult 
who control human society. He varyingly describes this cult as consisting of the 1% of the 1% and the Rockefellers. This cult is behind some of the people who seem to be powerful, such as Bill Gates or various political leaders, but who are in fact just the front behind which the real power hides. Even though some of his assertions seem to rest on the hypothesis that independent doctors and nurses are manipulating test results and statistics, David Icke absolves frontline workers with the explanation that they are forced to do things by cronies of the cult who hold positions of authority and impose systems that further the cult's agenda. The overarching message from Icke in his narrative, and also his extensive writing, is that all global events are manipulated by this cult, who want to enslave and control all of humanity and are moving in that direction in small but deliberate steps, something he calls the totalitarian tiptoe. All events involving global action, whether it is regarding climate change, environmental protection, alleviation of poverty, economic cooperation, or in this case, tackling a global infectious disease, lend themselves to inclusion in this narrative. So all human cooperation at a global scale, according to David Icke, is caused by dark forces trying to somehow undermine us all. Because any global action can be interpreted as a step towards a one-world government led by sinister forces. Consequently, international bodies such as the UN, the World Trade Organization, or the World Health Organization, as well as major multinational corporations, especially the tech giants, all become essential players in David Icke's conspiracy narratives. Which, coincidentally, opens the door for strongly nationalistic narratives. In the midst of identifying fearful threats and plots against our well-being, both Ike and Dr. Shiva intersperse their accounts with more positive suggestions about boosting the immune system through healthy eating habits, exercise and exposure to sunlight. And in David, David Icke's case, a briefly, he briefly digresses into spiritual views about the immortal and powerful nature of our consciousness. But even these more uplifting observations lead to further evidence for the sinister intentions of the cult. Because in many places, people's movement is limited, so they have less access to fresh air and sunlight, which proves that the authorities do not have people's best interests at heart and are in fact trying to make us sick to then further justify the lockdowns. There are many obvious logical flaws and internal inconsistencies in these ideas. So why do they seem to have such a wide appeal, seemingly across the full political, social, religious and educational spectrum? There are good reasons for the appeal of these ideas, but I think one fundamental driver is the deep, deep uncertainty of our current situation. None of us have lived through something quite like this before. And those of us who actually enjoy privileged status in affluent, democratic countries have not experienced having our freedom of movement and association curbed and policed. For people of colour in many parts of the world, that is not quite so unfamiliar. And I already mentioned the people in refugees camps all around the world often stuck there indefinitely. And right now, very few leaders across the global community have provided a roadmap by which we can imagine our way out of the current situation. 
That these uncharted waters should have been caused by a whim of nature can be a hard pill to swallow. Surely there must be a better reason. This is where conspiracy theories step in. They provide a clear explanation for what is happening, identify an enemy and give us the sense that there is structure and order. Whether it is a bioweapon or a hoax, these explanations seem more appealing to many than the fact that it is a virus caused by certain forms of human-animal interaction. We may not like it. In fact, what is happening is something to be resisted. But at least it is clear and unambiguous if it is man-made as a hoax or a bioweapon. As such, conspiracy theories reaffirm that there is order in the world. Things are not happening at random. Life is not creating suffering capriciously. And if we only look deeply enough, we too can know the truth. As such, they offer a similar certainty to religion. But instead of divine order, whether loving or wrathful, the order of the conspiracy believers is created by power-hungry individuals with multi-generational master plans for the control of humanity. Beyond the certainty and emotional comfort they offer, conspiracy theories, which could be more aptly called conspiracy beliefs, are also appealing because they identify and highlight very genuine social issues that run through every aspect of most nation-states, regardless whether they are autocratic or democratic. These include corruption and deceit at every level of the political system, biased and downright deceitful media reporting, inequality in the application of the law depending on social standing, according greater value to corporate profit than human well-being, and ever-increasing automation and sophistication of levels of control. Such things as CCTV, facial recognition, biometric recognition, voice recognition, and so on. Anybody who has seen the social credit system being deployed in China would rightly fear similar systems creeping into their country. So, as well as a desire for certainty, the following seem to be some of the big hooks that draw people into the web of conspiracy narratives. Politicians lie. There is widespread mistrust of government to the point that jokes about the self-interest and corruption of politicians are normalised. That is unsurprising as lies and deceit from politicians are common. One of the most egregious global examples were the lies of the senior leaders of the US and UK about the existence of weapons of mass destruction used to justify the invasion of Iraq. We now know that everybody knew that such weapons did not exist. But even though that has been established, nobody ever apologised for, formally admitted or made amends for taking large parts of the world to war over lies. Bill Clinton's infamous, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, is a more mundane example that made global headlines. In Australian politics, we had the so-called children overboard affair, where the Prime Minister at the time, John Howard, portrayed asylum seekers fleeing a sinking ship as heartless monsters throwing their kids overboard to save their own lives. This was used to stoke up community fear of refugees and help the Conservative Party win the next election on a tough-on-boat-arrivals policy. 
The following election a similar tactic was deployed unsuccessfully when a senior government bureaucrat assumed the false identity of a remote community worker. and made false and exaggerated claims about children's child sexual abuse in remote indigenous communities. This led to a military-style intervention in many such communities and took up significant airtime, again, just prior to an election. Only a little further back in history, British and US governments used their own soldiers as guinea pigs during nuclear tests in Australia and the Pacific. There could be endless more examples. And there's examples from just right now with the coronavirus, corruption in um, the way medical equipment is provided, the lies of the current American president have been documented to run into the thousands. Um, It's endemic everywhere. From mundane and petty lies about inappropriate use of travel allowances to decisions made in favour of companies that belong to the mates or family members of politicians, to lies that have taken entire countries to war or led to the exploitation of poorer countries in ways voters would not approve of if they knew the truth. Politicians have a major truth and trust deficit, which was amplified by contradictory and erratic communications by many world leaders when the pandemic first emerged. They were, of course, just as taken aback by the situation as anybody else. But because of the existing deficit, genuine mistakes are also met with mistrust. There there is a reason why New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has such a big global following. There is something almost miraculous about a warm, genuine, compassionate politician. The media lies. Long before Donald Trump popularised the term fake news, many of us already knew that one has to consume the news with careful discernment. Often the lies told by politicians are simply amplified by the media, and many media outlets have their own political motivations and biases. In the mid-90s, I attended a large demonstration in London. Police actively incited violence by arbitrarily cutting through the peaceful march and hemming in part of the protesters. The following day, the press reported the event as a violent riot. A mundane, everyday example of collaboration between the media and authorities to manipulate the public narrative of events. Members of minority and politically active groups are very familiar with this dynamic. Many middle-class white people are experiencing police overreach and a lack of media reporting about this during this pandemic for the first time. But for people of colour, it's been the norm since forever. There is good investigative journalism and journalists can hold governments and corporations to account. But there is also a significant amount of partisan media coverage pushing particular agendas, and we all know it. So the media also have a major truth and trust deficit. And since running for office, Donald Trump has managed to amplify that to such a degree that a significant proportion of people across the globe no longer feel they can trust any information. Corporations value profit over well-being. When I was growing up in the 1970s, it was quite common to see people 
who had been damaged in uterus by a drug known as thalidomide. This left lasting impressions on me and a deep-seated, although largely subconscious, mistrust of prescription drugs. I am not aware of other cases of that severity, but there are countless anecdotal accounts of people having adverse reactions to medications. And um, just before recording this, I was listening to another podcast, uh, I can recommend it, Conspirituality, where um, they were talking about uh, the way the Xanax anti-anxiety medication trials were essentially um, not fully reported so as to allow overprescription of the drug. Most controversial uh, among the accounts relating to um, adverse reactions to medication are those where children are dying or developing chronic health issues after vaccination. And it only takes a handful of such accounts among the hundreds of millions of children vaccinated across the globe to instill fear and mistrust among an ever-growing number of people. And as a parent, I can very much relate to that fear. Pharmaceutical companies also highlight some of the tension within the capitalist system. Profit drive and competition may spur innovation and creativity, but what are the ramifications of commodifying human health? In a system that values profit as the highest accomplishment, why would one promote a lifestyle that reduces people's dependence on drugs for their health? If companies are designed to make money by selling drugs, is it not in their best interest to ensure people take as many of their products as possible? Being able to produce a vaccine that is mandatory and applied to every citizen on this planet would surely be the business jackpot for any drug company. This is simple business logic, but raises complex ethical issues that are largely unresolved and thus function as a kind of slow-release fertilizer to the growth of conspiracy theories surrounding the pharmaceutical industry. These ethical issues of pharmaceutical companies are embedded in the deeper ethical shortcomings of the capitalist economy. It is not difficult to interpret this economy as a manipulative system that first indoctrinates the young into diets of fast food, sugar and alcohol, and until quite recently cigarettes, and then the old into the consumption of pharmaceuticals that would have been unnecessary if they had eaten healthy food to begin with. It is a system that, in its most rampant form, makes just about anything a commodity, including essentials such as water and our health. We all know, yet have become comfortably numb to the fact that we are lied to on a daily basis via advertising about the benefits of products. We have seen again and again that even harmful deceit goes unpenalized. Whether it is tobacco companies denying the harm of smoking, large banks manipulating accounts, overcharging customers and lending money to those who cannot afford repayments, big businesses underpaying staff, mining companies disregarding their environmental and social obligations, or Facebook selling user data, companies appear to get away with profit-driven schemes that harm people. In fact, they often continue to thrive while the lives of individuals are ruined. When these social, economic and political realities are seen as part of a large system, is it surprising 
that there are an openness, that there is an openness among millions to see conspiracy theories. When faced with a global crisis at a scale none of us have ever experienced, and governments suddenly take drastic actions that temporarily inhibit our freedom in unprecedented ways, is it surprising that many have a need for a more sophisticated reason than simply a desire by the government to keep the population safe? After all, those same governments already have a trust deficit, and there is overwhelming evidence that keeping the population population safe is not always their priority. Add to this poor implementation of and over-policing of lockdown restrictions, a sudden push for tracing apps and surveillance technology in case we become sick, and talk of compulsory vaccination, and many people's worst dystopian fantasies are activated. So clearly, conspiracy beliefs are not as outlandish as they may seem if we do not consider the bigger social context in which they arise. As long as corruption, self-interest, public manipulation and unbridled ambitions for power are part of our political and economic reality, we will have conspiracy beliefs. Because people are indeed scheming to gain more power. Politicians do support their mates or funders in big business, and businesses try to convince people to buy things they do not need and that are no good for them. But to attribute all of this to a grand conspiracy not only seems to vastly overestimate the human potential for global project management, it also ignores that we do not need a unifying conspiracy theory to explain all this scheming and manipulating. Such a theory in which the machinations of an elite few drive everything is understandably appealing. It gives us comforting clarity absolves us from responsibility and shelters us from human incompetence. Because if it is not the Rockefellers or other masterminds manipulating the system, but simply many competing, power-hungry, manipulative, unethical, self-centered and greedy individuals hustling for control, it paints a much murkier picture of humanity It forces us to confront that we too have those traits within us. All the pathological behaviors that one may want to attribute to conspiratorial manipulation seem much more readily explained as representing the shadow sides of the industrial capitalist economic system and our own psychology, especially our psychological and spiritual disconnection from each other and from nature. Our core social system of capitalism and materialism pretty much explains everything. Structural inequality and manipulation of people, consumers, are part of the business model by which most countries are run. The two-party political system has long favoured the status quo in which big businesses call the shots, especially in the English-speaking world. The medical approach is largely responsive rather than preventative and holistic. The main medical response to the pandemic, as exemplified by Bill Gates's push for a vaccine, are a case in point. Aiming for a vaccine for everyone is fully in accordance with the dominant medical model. Similarly, science does not identify any dangers of EMF or 5G. So why should that technology not be rolled out? None of these things are conspiracies other than the one that has been burdening humanity for as long as recorded history and that is the conspiracy of forgetfulness 
of our connection to the planet and each other. From a model of power over the planet and each other, we will naturally arrive at the kind of scenarios David Icke is lamenting. Scenarios where we undervalue human life, freedom and creativity, and overvalue centralized control and power as the more effective system. The fact that China is at the leading edge of societies built on such social control completely undermines the Rockefeller-Gates-Israel conspiracy narratives that uh, David Icke tends to focus on. The fact that China is at the leading edge of societies built on such social control completely undermines the Rockefeller-Gates-Israel conspiracy narrative that Icke likes to focus on. Instead, what it reminds us of is that this drive for power and control has been part of the human psyche since the beginning of nation-states. Roman emperors had it, as did medieval kings and religious authorities. 18th century lords, and today the owners of giant tech companies, and banks as well as party leaders and senior bureaucrats of all political persuasions. I actually have some admiration for David Icke's dogged persistence to call out corruption and for staying true to his beliefs despite years of public ridicule. But many, many of his statements are damaging falsehoods, pushing a deeply anti-scientific and nationalistic agenda, so that in the end, he acts almost like a counterintelligence operative. He identifies serious issues, but then obfuscates them by packaging them with misinformation. He purports to be aiming for human liberation, while spreading fear and distrust. Conspiracy beliefs do not help us create just societies or claim our freedom. While they may alert us to systemic corruption, they are disempowering by placing causality in the hands of an unidentified elite. It's a kind of human anti-god, instead of the inherent flaws of the human psyche. There is every reason to assume that corruption and the push for more power by those with immense wealth will continue. But the struggle against that push is not so much a fight against an external cult as a struggle with aspects of our own nature. It is by building our relationships, our businesses, and even our political engagements on principles of authenticity, compassion, kindness, mutuality and respect for nature that we create a bedrock for a solid society. A society where conspiracy beliefs become obsolete and people can breathe out and relax into mutual trust, respect and deep inner knowledge of their creative contribution to life on this planet. So this was my paper and um, As far as I'm concerned, it fairly clearly states that, yes, there are conspiracies, yes, there is corruption, um, and there are lies, and there's deceit, and they're quite real, but they're not essentially created by some singular entity. They are driven by our desire for power, for control, they're driven by psychopathy, 
by narcissism, and by all those things that are rampant in human society. Um, I received some comments that were suggesting that I was somehow missing David Icke's point, that he was more nuanced and that he was um, uh, you know, coming from a really good place in his work. And in, in that summary that I give, I really just summarize what he says. So if he's more nuanced, certainly wasn't in those London Real um, interviews and uh, also not in that. I only watched very briefly that YouTube video about the bushfires I mentioned earlier. Um, he's pushing an agenda, at least in all of those. I didn't spend the time to go down all his books and all of that. Because to me, if you're not honest, in a few instances, it really discredits um, your argument. Right? He's trying to call out lies and manipulation while being dishonest and deceitful. Yeah, it kind of, uh, kind of uh, ends the discussion, really. Um, I did want to read this comment that I got on the Medium article and uh, just make a few comments about that. So this person is called, whether that's his real name or not, I don't know, Stephen Del Rizzo. He says, anything to make Kim McCall appear to the authorities as not only compliant, but effective in discrediting, criticizing those who would dare to do what Kim could never do without fear. Challenge the 1%. It's unthinkable to you, that's me, and your kind. You are what will be obsolete after the global reset. You will be replaced by artificial intelligence. Intelligence. Students will access digital libraries, digital teachers, and you accelerate it by writing articles like this. Words become weapons in the war against truth. Propaganda, the hit pieces on people with courage to speak, to stand to fight. Big tech and its investors are dead set on demonetizing, purging any page, channel, content creator, anyone who would question the official narrative of COVID-19. You work towards their goal like a programmed person who will never question them, will do so blindly. When censorship is complete and erasure is total, society will live in a future where there is only one idea, one way, one government, and it was fools like you that paved the roads while the mainstream media paved the highways to the global system. The control grid, the smart cities governed by artificial intelligence, a veritable hell on earth for free thinkers, unless you're a technocrat who adores and serves the technocracy. So there's a few things to say in this comment. And uh, I think one of the things that it does is, is kind of classic for um, a lot of comments that I've seen where people question uh, the narratives. So where people express conspiratorial narratives around COVID and other people question it, um, there is this recurring theme of the people who are questioning being sheep, or in this case, I seem to be more uh, than a sheep, but I'm actually um, unthinking or not uh, paving roads 
right? Not the highways, that's the mainstream area, but I'm paving roads. So um, given that as the time of this writing, my, um, my article has probably tops had 100 views, I'm quite flattered by the fact that I'm um, considered to be paving roads. Uh, I also feel that, um, I also consider that this common probably seems to have missed uh, all the parts in the article that actually speaks to uh, all the corruptions and the issues that do exist in existing power structures. And I guess it missed them, perhaps, because I questioned the one narrative that this author seems to, um, this Stephen Del Rizzo seems to really like, which is the David Icke narrative, which I hope is clear is actually not just one narrative. It's got sort of the uber narrative of the conspiracy theory, but to make that fly, it actually has many different sub-narratives, which can quite often be mutually inconsistent, um, but that are somehow all fodder to feed this. It's a um, global 1% who are controlling everything narrative. Anything, as I said, anything can fit that narrative. Um, And there is, of course, an irony in this comment and in all these comments that call people who question conspiracy theories sheep um, is that on the one hand, he's saying that somehow by writing this article, I'm paving um, a, a road that will stop us from being able to be free thinkers while apparently trying to shut down my expression by saying that that expression shuts down free speech. So it becomes like a a loop argument. It's like all the people that follow um, inconsistent or or, videos that that, that really aren't coherent, that follow them and call everybody else sheep, people who actually question them, right? So there's a real kind of an about turn. Like it's it's just a confusing space. so this actually ended up a bit longer than I had planned, really. So I think to end up, I did um, just want to say uh, that there are really valid reasons for us to question dominant narratives, the motives of big business and governments, and that is really important. And at the same time, it is equally important to question the narratives of people like David Icke, who in fact is making conspiracy a big business, uh, as did London Real that platformed him, as did a lot of the people that are producing um, content around pandemic and those kinds of things, who've created huge social media profiles, all while claiming censorship and um, millions of followers. Very important to question all of these people. So I will leave you with uh, the motto that always accompanies this work, which actually is don't believe in anything. Experiment. Have your own experiences and do research and use discernment. And uh, quite often that might mean that for a long period of time, we don't exactly know what's going on. But being able to sit with that ambiguity 
is really important uh, thing, skill to develop at this current time. Thank you for listening. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune Seeing Us Out is another one from Axel Tesliff. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies. <laughs>